So tonight, as we've just read, I want to spend some time with you in one of my favorite psalms. And my hope is that despite the burdens you may be carrying tonight, despite the concerns, the anxieties, the things that have you uh, weighed down, that by the end of this, the Lord will be the lifter of your head. And so before I jump into the actual psalm, let me give you just a few thoughts about the psalms in general. First, the psalms, if you've not spent many, much time reading them, you probably have more psalms memorized, or at least phrases from them, than you, ima- than you even know. It's one of those things that when you start reading the psalms, you'll, you'll, you'll see that and go, oh, I thought that was a song lyric. Well, it is. Technically, it's, it came from the psalms. So there, it's just one of those things that should just fill our hearts, these phrases that come from this. It's poetry. It's beautiful, but it speaks truth. The psalms in themselves, as you read through them, you will get almost an entire summary of the Old Testament because there's so many recollections of the things that God has done in delivering and setting people free through Egypt and creation and the prophets and all of this is it's all seen through the Psalms. So reading the Psalms, you will get a good summary of the Old Testament itself. So it also helps to know the Old Testament when you read the Psalms because those two are going to help them under you know, help you understand them and vice versa. But what I always find amazing about the Psalms is that they will address every emotion faced by a born-again child of God. Are you facing fear, depression, anxiety, joy, grief, worry? It doesn't matter what you could face. They are addressed and reflected in these Psalms. They are extremely emotional. Now, our our emotions always need to be guided by the truth, and here is where we see emotion properly expressed. And as we read them, what they do is they move us towards sanctification, because what they do is they turn our eyes to God and ultimately turning our eyes to Jesus. And that is where we've got to keep our focus, because we tend to look everywhere else But in reading the Psalms, we are just guided back continually to our Lord. And we will see that as we go through the Psalm tonight. There was a uh, Reverend uh, James Anderson. He said this about the Psalms. He said, the Psalms tend only to uh, refine and exalt the nature of man. So he's saying spend time in them because they elevate the soul and inspire it with the admiration and love of God's character. The Psalms have guided the saint in doubt and difficulty, and they have nerved him for self-denial and suffering, and it has imparted support and comfort to the believer in the hour of death. So these are reasons we need to stay with the Psalms, because they guide us through doubt and difficulty. They nerve us when it is time for us to suffer, and sometimes God has called that to be part of our lives. And they provide support and comfort in those sufferings and even upon death. John Calvin said this about the Psalms. He said, Genuine and earnest prayer proceeds first from a sense of need, and next 
from faith in the promises of God. It is by perusing these inspired compositions, the Psalms, that men and women will be most effectually awakened to their sense of need and at the same time instructed to seek the remedies for their cure. This is why we, we want to spend time in Psalms. And as we go through these and as we read the Psalms, we are not merely people trying to understand the poetry. We are pursuing the heart of God. That's what the Psalms are about. They're not just quaint little writings. They are men and women who, who pursue the heart of God, and they're helping us do the same. So let's look at Psalm 3. I titled the sermon, Salvation Belongs to the Lord, but it could be the Lord is our glory. It could be he is the lifter of our heads. There are so many phrases in this psalm that we can uh, just latch on to. Now, what's the context of the psalm? Well, uh, somehow my Bible turned. I don't think it was the, the breeze. The, the opening says this. The title says, It is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. So here's the context. And we need to understand this because it's going to help us understand what David is going through and what he's talking about. Now, Absalom was David's son who was rebellious. And so David is ruling in Jerusalem. Absalom is living in Jerusalem with him. But Absalom wants to turn the hearts of the people away from David. There's this faction. Remember, this is a result of David's sin with Bathsheba. God said, because of your sin, I have washed you clean, but there will be a sword in your family. So what David is facing here is partly the discipline, the reproof for his own sinfulness. So Absalom is doing exactly what evil Absalom wants to do, and he is going to turn the hearts away from David. So what he would do is he would sit at the gate of the city. Now, people would come from all over, all the cities of Israel and Judah, to Jerusalem to get justice when there was something that needed to be judged upon. And so they would show up. Well, Absalom would be sitting there waiting for them, and he would tell them, oh, man, that is a serious case. They would come unload their burdens. He's like, there's no one here that will help you, unfortunately. David hasn't appointed anybody. The king... He doesn't care about you or these things. But man, if I, if I were judge, if I were king, I would be sure to take care of you. And so they would turn away, angered at David. And then he would also, and they also beginning to admire Absalom. Maybe Absalom should be king. This went on for 40 years. Now, over that time, there were many in these cities that had now turned against David. And so Absalom decides what he's going to do is he's going to ask David, David, I need to go uh, to uh, Hebron. And he goes to Hebron, sends out spies, tells the people, when you hear the trumpet, know that I am now ruling in Hebron. And so all of this happens and the people rise up and revolt against David. And they come after him. And they not only want to remove him as king, they want to kill him. I mean, that would be bad enough to face something like that, but to have your own child do that to you, 
you could imagine the weight that David is feeling. So this is the situation in which this psalm is, is, is constructed, and it, this is when David wrote this. Now, there are four parts to this psalm. Every two verses is a different part. The first two verses are the laments. So we'll see that David laments. The second two verses, we will see him have confidence in God, even despite his lament. The fourth part, or the third part, is the rest that he finds in the confidence and trust in God. And the fourth part is the salvation that uh, God provides. So let's look at the lament, the first two verses. It says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. So you can imagine David is not only feeling the weight of what's going on, multitudes over all these years have come against him. These are more than he can handle. He's fleeing for his life. And we can think about that ourselves. There are so many enemies to the people of God, and sometimes there are just enemies that come against you or I for no reason. Sometimes it is things we've done wrong in the past. Other times, it's just people want to take us down. But you can imagine yourself in this situation. If it's not other people sometimes who come against us, we do know that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and he is working to take us down. We have enemies, and on top of that, we have our own doubts and our fears that assail us. And all of this is so often more than we can handle. Sometimes this happens in our very homes. David's son is involved. It can happen at our jobs. It can even happen in our churches. There are those who seek to destroy you. Maybe not physically, but remove you. They don't want you to be around. They want to see you fall. And David's in this situation. Verse 2, it says, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. This is where it starts to really get heavy. William Gurnall says this, This is a sore stab indeed, because there is nothing more terrifying to the believer that God is not with him and will save him. And this is what they're saying to them. They're saying, look, David, you're a sinner. You've not been ruling correctly. You, you, you've got this grief you're facing. Now you're facing danger. It's because of your own sinfulness. And so we're provoking you, saying there's no hope for you. And people will say that to you all the time. You can trust in your God, but it doesn't exist. You've bought into myths and fairy tales. So you just keep doing your thing, but there's no hope for you in God. Or the enemy will come to you. Satan loves to do this. Oh, yeah. Christ saves some people, but you've gone too far. There is no hope for you in God. So you can imagine how heavy this type of talk is. But this is the talk that comes to us so frequently. And we, we hear these things. And we think, man, that's the worst possible thing. Because if God is against me, as God, if God is for me, even if the whole world is against me, I'm fine. But if God is against me, there is nothing that can save me. 
And so we hear these things. We begin to recall all our past sins because Satan loves to be the accuser. And so all of these things begin to come to our minds again. And David has plenty to recall here. Sins with Bathsheba, the blood that's on his hands with Uriah and all these things and doubt sets in and we begin to wonder, is God with me or am I lost? Then the word says, Selah. This is the first time this word is used in the Psalms. It's used about 70 times and it doesn't have a precise uh, definition, but it tends to mean it's a rest in the music. But it also means just stop and ponder this for a minute. Have you ever been in this situation where you felt like God is against you, even as a child of God, because someone has said it to you or the enemy is lying to you? This is where David finds himself. But the true believer, with the Holy Spirit alive in us, even when those doubts assail us, The Lord stirs up that fire within us, and we see David has a turn here, and he has confidence. Something is stirred up in in him. He says in verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Though David knew he was guilty, he knew that there were multitudes against him, He knew he was a child of God. And so he's going to give us three things that he is taking open. These are like general truths here. First, you are a shield about me. Yes, I'm a sinner, but God is my protection. I find safety in the Lord. David knows that nothing can touch him unless God chooses it to be so. And if God chooses... It is still ultimately for the good of those who love him. The arrows may fly. A thousand might fall at my right hand, a thousand, ten thousand at my left, but it will not come near me. That is Psalm 91, because the Lord is with me. We also have this shield of faith. Now, faith is a gift of God. And he is using it here. God is giving David that faith to rise up against these taunts. Ephesians 6, 16 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which you, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. So again, we're, we're talking about some general principles that David knows here. First, he knows he is his shield, so he has safety. The second thing he knows is that God is his glory. He is, God is David's honor and David's dignity. At this moment in David's life, the crown seems to have fallen from David's head. But that crown was never David's dignity. That crown was never David's glory. So he can lose the crown and still say, but God is my glory. David knows it's not what people think of him that is his glory. It's not the power he holds. Even on the run, David has not lost his glory. Always remember this. Your glory and my glory are not found in our talents or in what people think of us or in the car we drive or the kind of home we live in. 
that's nothing. Our glory is found in Jesus Christ. God is our glory. And if you think that your glory is found anyplace else, your entire confidence is on shaky ground. I just finished watching recently a, a documentary on Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I found it pretty fascinating, but I also found it pretty depressing. Because this, this documentary takes you through his ascendancy, his athletic ability, and winning all these bodybuilding competitions. And you just see him ascend, ascend, and he says, yes. And then I needed a new challenge, so he took on Hollywood. And he, you know, now he's, he's out there, and he's doing uh, all these movies. He's the biggest star, highest-paid star at the time. And then that wasn't enough. And then he became statesman and became governor. And he's telling, they're telling his story, and he's being interviewed. But now he's 75. And what was really interesting is as you're watching this documentary, every time they video him speaking, he's in this huge mansion, but he's alone. His family's gone because of moral choices he made. He lost them. And here he is at 75 trying to say, what is my next challenge? His glory has always been his athleticism. His glory has always been his uh, movie stardom. His glory has been his uh, political prowess. But it's all fading. And at the end of the documentary, he, he, it ends by him saying, well, let's get back to work. Because he's still trying to find something. He's lost his, his body. His body's not what it used to be. You know, he doesn't have any of this. Our glory is not found in these things. Strive, have ambition. Try to uh, grow in your position at work. Try to reach for things you want to do. But if all of that is stripped for you, you have not lost a thing because God is your glory. So we must remember this is so crucial to the Christian life. We think our glory is found in so many things, but man, watch superstars age and you will realize it's not true. He's also, God is also the lifter of his head. So we have uh, safety in his shield. We have uh, honor and dignity in God because he's our glory. And we also have joy and deliverance, the lifter of my head. So when you find yourself defeated and your head hangs low, trust in the Lord and you will know you cannot be defeated. Even if they take your life, even if you lose all the things that the world says, that's what makes you special. And if you don't have this, you're nothing to us. Once you understand that, you can lift your head in the darkest of circumstances. And God is a jealous God, and he is jealous of his own glory. And when we are trusting him to be our glory, he will take action when the enemy surrounds us. And so those are the general truths. He's our shield. He's our glory. He's a lifter of our heads. And so David now is going to remember, remember, so he's lamented. He's still in the section of confidence. Faith has stirred something up. He remembered biblical truths. 
and now he's going to remember times in the past where God has delivered him. Verse 4, I cried aloud. This is just a general poetic statement about times that God has answered him. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. So David cries to the Lord because he understands, first of all, his need and his poverty apart from God. So don't ever let your weakness keep you from the Lord. Don't ever let your sin keep you from the Lord. Those are the reasons we need to go to the Lord. Let these things drive you to him. Because when David answered it, when David called out to him in the past, the Lord answered. And you can probably think of countless times when you were stressed. You had a financial burden that you didn't know how you were going to meet or you had a relationship problem or a work problem and you thought, there is no way I can overcome this. But yet here you sit today and that problem's long gone because God was with you. And so have confidence in God. And that leads us to the, uh, the next stage. Lament, the confidence that leads to rest. Verse 5 says, David says, I lay down and slept, and I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. Could you imagine having people hunting for your lives, multitudes of people, an army coming for you, and you're able to lay down and sleep? To be able to sleep in such a situation shows a heart that it truly is trusting God. The Lord sustained him. Even when we cannot protect ourselves, God is active. You can have rest. There have been countless people, possibly in here, who had to go under the knife. And the doctor said, we're not sure if this is going to work. We'll do our best. And you say, well, I trust the Lord. And you laid down and slept. And you arose again after that surgery. And even when we close our eyes in death, he will sustain us and we will awake in glory. Now, ultimately, this is poetic language. It does talk about sleeps, but I know there are nights you guys don't sleep because I have them too. You toss and turn and wonder what is going to happen. But even as you're tossing and turning, you can still have peace. I may be having trouble sleeping, but Lord, I'm going to you. I'm trusting you that you will be with me. And so there is rest. He goes on to verse 6 and he says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Though the number is great, they are not greater than God. Though the trial is severe, it is not too much for the Lord. Though David's life is actually in danger, God is his shield. Though people hate him wrongfully, his righteousness and doing everything right is not found in himself, it is found in God. And though some of his consequences of his own sinfulness are, are what are causing some of this problem, the sword in his family, he cried out, create in me a clean heart, O God. And the Lord said, yes. Through the, the death of my son, 
That is how you'll be washed clean, and that is how you're washed clean. So David will not fear because of all of these truths, which leads us to the final section, the salvation. So he's remembered. He's called out the basic truths of the Bible. He's no longer afraid. He's resting, and now he's going to say, Lord, I'm calling to you once again. I need you now. And verse 7 says, Arise, O Lord, and save me, O my God. For you strike all the enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. Arise here. J.A. Alexander says that arise here means David is asking the Lord to manifest his presence, to act, to bring a solution to this situation, whether it be in wrath against his enemies or in favor by turning their hearts. Calls God to arise and it says he strikes the jaw and breaks the teeth. This is amazing language. Albert Barnes says when the the phrase upon the cheekbone, he goes, the language seems to be taken from a comparison of David's enemies with wild animals. That's how they're being pictured. And the cheekbone uh, denotes the bone in which the teeth are placed. And to break that is to disarm the animal. Imagine you're out in the wilderness and you're walking along and all of a sudden you see a raging wolf charging towards you. You would be terrified. Imagine you had no weapons to defend yourself, just your hands. You would be, you wouldn't know what you were going to do. You think, I probably won't survive this. But what if you saw as it got closer to you that its jaw was hanging loose because it had been broken and all its teeth had been removed? You would say, huh, I might get a few bruises here, but I got this. I can take this thing out. That's what Scripture is saying is your enemies are like. They can do all sorts of things to you, but they cannot take you from the love of God. Even death has lost its sting. The sting of death is the curse of sin. But sin has been washed clean. It has been disarmed. No enemy can ultimately hurt you because God has broken its jaw. Even if they put you to death. They only sent you to heaven. Thank them. And so we have this amazing picture. In verse 8, it says, Salvation belongs to the Lord and your blessing be on your people. What we see here is faith triumphing. David is saying, I've asked the Lord to arise, and he's going to. He's going to move. The victory is already secured. Victory is found nowhere else. It's only in God, and God has the power to save us. And even our own salvation, it is not of us. It is entirely of God. And his blessing is, belongs to his people. He always knows that there are going to be times when we come to suffer. 
But even in the midst of that suffering, whatever griefs you brought tonight, if you were a child of God, God's blessing is on you. Even as you suffer. The promise is ours, and so we just need to trust them. Now, just very quickly, this is not everything in that psalm. Remember in Psalm 22, where David cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is about David. David actually said that, but it's also a personification of Christ's suffering on the cross. Many ancient uh, church fathers say this is actually one of those similar psalms. And every one of these phrases, sections, applied to Jesus Christ as well. You have the lament. Christ was surrounded by the enemies. They shouted insults. They told him he had no help from him in God. He saved others. Let him save himself. There's nothing he can do. And they taunted him and they crucified him. But Christ knew that when the crowd yelled, crucify him, crucify him, he knew that the Father was his glory, his shield, and he would not allow his Holy One to see corruption in the grave. And so there was confidence in Christ as he moved forward. And then this this amazing picture of rest. Christ knew he had to taste death for us. It was the only way to save us because that's what our sins deserve. And so for three days, his body lay in the grave. He lay down and slept, but his father sustained him and he rose again to give us new life. And so here's the final salvation. Death could not hold him. It no longer has uh, its sting. The Holy One would not see corruption, and neither will anybody who belongs to him. On the cross, Christ disarmed all our enemies. The curse of the law that we deserved had been broken. The wages of sin has been paid. And in though we will face many things in this life, our greatest enemy has been destroyed. One of the epistles says, He put them to open shame when he died and resurrected. So people can mock, they can slander, they can even kill us, but they can't hurt us. Their teeth have been removed. And Satan can accuse, and he can taunt, and he can try to haunt us with our sins, but it has no hold. His weapons are destroyed. Salvation is entirely of the Lord through Jesus Christ. The Father sent the Son and poured out his wrath upon him because he loves you. The Son obeyed the Father and and bore the wrath because he loves you. And the Spirit sustained Christ and comes to you and calls you because he loves you. His blessing is upon his people. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Here are the final calls to action. One, if you are here and you are living faithfully in a fallen world, stand strong. Things may be going good for you now. The hard times will come. 
stay strong. If you're a child of God and you are in this moment where you are oppressed and weak, he's saying, call to me. I will not leave you. I will arise. And if you're here tonight, this is one of the biggest dangers I think we all are, have tendency to do. And you think your glory is in the things of the world, the things you have accomplished, the things that this world can give you. The Lord says, how long will you halt between two positions? If I am God, serve me. Let me be your glory. Only I can truly lift your head. A new car may lift your head for a few months. A new home may do the same thing. But eventually the laws of entropy decide to destroy all of those things and there's nothing there left for us to keep our heads up. But not so with Jesus Christ. He's eternally perfect. Finally, there may be someone here who does not know the Lord. If you don't know him, and you reject him, you are considered still at enmity with God, and he will strike all of his enemies. So my challenge to you is come to the Lord. He loves you. You will find salvation, and all of this that we talked about tonight can be yours as well, that the Lord can be your glory and the lifter of your head. Let us uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. It speaks so much to us. We know that we don't deserve any of this. The fact that you have decided to be our, your, be our salvation because of your goodness and your love for us, we can only praise you. Help us to never turn away from that, to never get lost by looking at the things of the world too much. Help us to always keep our eyes on you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.